Welcome to BOGSCAST, where faculty and staff at the BOGS Center on Developmental Disabilities explore best practice, showcase success stories, and help listeners envision possibilities for innovation through interviews with state and national experts. Part of Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, the BOGS Center is New Jersey's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities and Leadership Education and Neurodevelopmental Disabilities Program. I'm Bethany Trace, Training and Consultation Specialist at the BOGS Center on Developmental Disabilities, and I'm thrilled to be kicking off season two of BOGSCAST during Disability Employment Awareness Month. In this episode, we'll be discussing employment advocacy with Keith Diaz. Keith Diaz is a husband, father of two, including his five-year-old son who has Down syndrome and a health scientist living in New Jersey. He is the co-founder of a disability hiring program at his employer, Columbia University Medical Center. Keith's goal is to inspire others to advocate in their everyday spaces to include individuals with disabilities, and he is a passionate advocate for inclusive employment. So Keith, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, pleasure to be here. So why don't we get started by just having you tell us the story of how you became involved in employment advocacy. Sure, so, you know, I'm, the, I'm the, just a, a dad of a son who has an intellectual disability who knew next to nothing about disability advocacy or really had limited experience about, you know, what is the plight of people and experience of people with disabilities and, and how they continue to be marginalized in our society. And we were just starting to think about as a parent, I think anyone thinks about what does the future look like for their son? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we did one of these kind of exercises when he was transitioning into the school district of what is our vision for him? And, you know, on the top of our list of what his life would look like, 20 years from now, because he's five, but he was three at the time that we did this. Um, on the tops of the list were things like live independently and have a social life, have a job. And, and so we, we started piecing together like all those things that were meaningful to us, mm -hmm. what we wanted his life to look like. And a lot of it was centered on or could be fixed by or addressed by having a job in his community. And, you know, a lot of our trajectory, the, the trajectory of him going into school is ultimately for him to have life opportunities and that ultimately is to have a job and be included, right? And right. so that's where like my interest in employment started was just recognizing that, that the most important thing that we can prepare him for was for employment. And so I was like, I wanna start working on this now. I wanna get into this now. And, and learn about this space. But what really I think struck me um, was seeing the statistics that 63% of individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities are unemployed and another 17% work in sheltered workshops. So they're segregated away from the community. So 80% of individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities don't have inclusive employment. And for me, that was, that's like a daunting statistic as a parent to yeah. realize like, oh, like the odds of my son actually having a real world job are, are slim to none. Like he has a two out of 10 chance of, 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 of making it. I, 
I, I just couldn't live with that. And I wanted to do something about it. And, you know, obviously there's, that's a big issue to tackle, but I thought at least I could do something about it in my space, in my community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, what I find so interesting about your story is that, you know, your son's five <laughs> and, um, and you, you know, you're looking at where your son was at. And I think that um, a lot of parents, when they have a child with a disability, their advocacy efforts are really focused around where their child is at in terms of their development, in terms of their trajectory. But what's interesting about your story is that you've got this, this little guy and immediately you start looking up employment statistics and thinking about that long-term trajectory. And I think that's really, um, I think that's really unique about your story. Um, what do you think, you know, if, you know, you mentioned that employment is where we're all going and it's the point of all of these opportunities. Um, but can you tell us some more just about, you know, why you were so drawn to employment um, beyond the obvious? So that's why you go to school. Yeah, well, I mean, I think about what employment means to me mm -hmm. and that it, it gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you a reason to wake up every morning. It, it gives you opportunities to be social and I want that for my son too. And I want that for everybody. Everybody should have those opportunities to have purpose in life, to have something to wake up to every day, to, to go towards. And, you know, obviously disability and poverty, we know go hand in hand, yeah. unfortunately. And, and so, well, what's the best way to get out of that cycle of, of poverty or being stuck in poverty is, to have a job, right? And so, you know, there's a saying that I've heard before, and I'll say it now that I, I believe is true that people with disabilities don't need more charity, they need jobs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, how do we address a lot of the major societal issues for people with disabilities? Well, one of the best ways to address them is to actually get them jobs. Yeah. And, and so that I think that for me is where I felt like, like, if you were to pick what are the most important advocacy areas for people with disabilities? I would argue that employment is one of the most, if not the most important, because it can address many of the issues um, that people with disabilities face. Yeah. Yeah, we often say here, you know, at the Box Center in our employment trainings that employment really is all of the things, right? It hits on all of those things that help create a good life in terms of um, social opportunities, access to your own, you know, finances, um, personal agency, um, self-esteem, it really is all of the things that you can be hit on by employment. So why don't we explain to our listeners today about the employment program um, that we keep referring to, what's going on at Columbia University? Sure, we started a program, it's called Project Possibility. And it was started 2019, 2020, we started working on it. And it's a disability hiring program that's specifically designed to hire individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities at Columbia University Medical Center. And to do that, um, we partnered with an organization, actually it's, it's multiple organizations. Um, it's it's uh, a community-based organization or consortium called the Consortium for Customized Employment. And so that actually is a 14 different organizations that support employment for people with disabilities. Wow. And so we partnered with this consortium and worked together to really 
place individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities into um, different departments at our, our, our university. Mm -hmm. And how did that, um, describe the process of how that all got started. That's quite a daunting mission. You know, people think uh, a university hospital um, might be hard to get access to. So how did that get started? How did that go? It started with just a personal goal of mine, just to hire somebody with a disability in my department. Mm -hmm. And I, I just wanted to hire one person in our department. And we couldn't even pull that off. Mm -hmm. And we hit a lot of roadblocks to just achieving that goal. And that actually was probably where this started was recognizing that, oh, there's like some system level issues that we have to address that it's, it's, it's not as simple as just, you know, me as one individual wanting to hire another person with a disability. Um, we have to address this at a, a bigger, larger scale. And so it began from, you know, us running into an issue and then having to take it up to the chain. And I actually had the opportunity to meet with our chief diversity equity inclusion officer in HR and was telling her about our issues and if she could help us address them. And, you know, that's where she asked me bluntly, like, hey, well, what are you trying to do with this? Mm. Where, where are you going? What's the point of all this? And, you know, I shared with her what I we're talking about now about all the issues in the, the disability community and the, 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 the dismal employment rates. And for her, I think it was, you know, even as someone who's in kind of the diversity, equity, inclusion space, it's not something I think um, she thought too much about and, and maybe didn't know quite that there was that much of an issue. Right. And, and so she immediately jumped on board and said, well, why are we doing just one? Mm -hmm. let's like do many people like we this is a problem we got to solve let's solve it now and we can do something about it and you know if you know and we looked into this and we saw like Walgreens has a program and Microsoft has a program I was like well why can't Columbia have a program mm -hmm. we can do that too um so I, you know I, I think it started there yeah. you know of, of just me having this idea in my back of my head of a, a goal that maybe we could hire somebody and then it becoming bigger once I got other people involved and, and wanting to be partnered with me like doing this at a bigger scale. Yeah, I think a lot of these stories, you end up hearing about finding um, champions to the cause from inside an organization or inside an employer. Uh, it seems like your first contact, you found a champion. Um, were all of the folks that you spoke to as open and excited as she was, or did you um, encounter some folks that were more skeptical? You know, I think we usually get two kinds of folks when they hear about the program. We get the one type who are, wow, this is like, this is an amazing program. Like I need to be a part of this. How can I be involved? We need people like this in our department. We want to hire people with disabilities in our department. Like we want in immediately. Mm -hmm. And then the other group of people we get is oh that's nice that's cool <laughs> like good for you and like pat yeah, on the back yeah. like <laughs> you know like not you know that's not for us but good keep it up you know and those are the, usually the two kind of 
groups of people like you know i don't think we've ever faced like oh you shouldn't be doing this or that's you know that's not for columbia it's just more like oh isn't that nice um unfortunately i think the majority fall into that category of that's nice but that's not for us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's funny it's people aren't usually that outright say no no thank you that's you know we don't want to hire a person with disability but the oh isn't that nice what a what a nice program you must be such a special person yes. that's something that a lot of um a lot of folks you know we probably have some job coaches listening to this episode today that we hear a lot and it's not um it's perhaps well-intentioned but there is definitely some ableism laced into that kind of comment that like, oh, that's so special of you to be doing that. Did you respond to that or did you just move on to find someone who, who seemed more genuinely excited about, about the program? So we started with the, what I'll call the champions, right? The, the people who through thick or thin are committed to making this work. Because when we started, you know, we were still learning. So, you know, we definitely didn't know what we were doing and we had to reach out to a lot of people for help. And so we started with people we knew would work with us and work through it, even if we encountered headaches and hiccups. Mm -hmm. We are now moving towards how do we get to the other group of people who are apprehensive and don't necessarily, are not, don't feel compelled to be engaged in this program. That's where we're focusing, we're moving to focusing our efforts are at how do we address those groups of individuals and how do we get those divisions and departments involved. But we started at a place where we, we just wanted the champions first who would really help us be successful in the beginning. Right. And then their success stories can then speak for themselves. Yeah. And then that's what we found thus far most powerful is I can sit here and, and try to convince you as um, if you're a potential department or division who wants to hire, I can, you know, can give you stats and tell you about, you know, that this is a social issue that we can address and it'd be for social good. But it's far more effective when I have somebody who has done it, who's at your level, who's also a department administrator say like, hey, like, here's what we did and here's how it benefited us. Let me tell you how it worked for us. And let me tell you how it made our department better. Yeah. And and that has been so much has opened up doors far better than me just trying to sell people or pitch them on participating in a disability hiring program. Right, right. Because you you don't want um you don't want it to come across as you you know as you started off uh, the the um this discussion earlier that it's not about the last thing that folks need is charity, right? So if people are responding to you like, oh, you want me to do quote the right thing unquote that's missing the mark across the board for the folks with support, for the employers, for every, that's that's missing the mark across the board um, as opposed to showing the benefit of the hire and how it's um, been beneficial for that department. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think that's what, where we usually get, where like the hesitation is, is more the perception that, I, you know, it's it's a business, it's a job and I just, I need it to get done mm -hmm. and I don't have time to hold hands or invest in lots of training. I just need the work done. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a perception or belief that, you know, hiring a person with a disability is, is maybe going to impede that. Mm 
mm-hmm. and, and make it difficult. And, and so I, I think a lot of times, and this is, I'm stereotyping, it's not everybody feels this way, but I think there's a lot of perceptions about how it, it may actually be more work than help. And they, they see it as a charity and not as actually a good business decision. Right. Right. I think that there's a lot of that out there. And, um, you know, when you're when you're working in this advocacy area and you're reaching out to employers or in your case, departments, and they have that response of like, you know, I don't have time for this or this is going to be expensive. Um, But it's helpful to remember when you're engaging with employers that this is new for them. Right. Like, as you've mentioned, you quoted the employment statistics at the beginning of this of this podcast, the beginning of our conversation that we're just not used to seeing a lot of folks with disabilities in the workplace and employers are also not used to seeing disabilities in their own workplaces. Um, And it's about, um, again, showing like having folks who are employed, their their efforts speaking for themselves. Have you had any instances where people's responses for you have made you, um, have you had like a reaction of like, what do you, you how could you say such a thing? Have you gotten frustrated in, in your work? Oh, of course. Uh, you know, our, our first hire was the most frustrating experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had identified a candidate, thought they were a really great match, and took it to HR and said, here's our person we want to hire. And by the way, they have a job coach. And the response was, whoa, whoa, whoa. If this person needs a job coach, then they must not be the most qualified person for the job. Mm-hmm. And they put a halt to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were livid because, I mean, that's a clear violation of ADA or a job coach is an accommodation, it doesn't disqualify you or make you any less capable. And, and so f- that for us was, you know, we wanted to go uh, use the, the phrase, we want to go scorched earth and be like, all right, we're getting lawyers involved. That's it. Like you guys are discriminating. Like, and we had to step back and say, well, hold on. What's what do we really want to achieve here? What's the purpose of this? And is it really that they're trying to discriminate or they just don't know? Right. And and in our experience, that's been more so the case is that people just don't know that that disability is just foreign to them. That, That, you know, you and I in the disability community and world, like we understand, but to most people, they don't understand or have any clue of, of what, you know, the day in and day out issues that people with disabilities face. And, and they just, it's, it's to me, it's always, it, it, I, my sense is it's a, it's a lack of awareness mm-hmm. or lack of knowledge, not a true intent to discriminate. That's not always the case, not always the case but it tends to be in my experience what is usually what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I think these efforts are so important because it is, brand new to a lot of folks. Um, and so it takes it takes persistence and patience and understanding to move the needle forward in this area. Um, and I think you know a lot of people hear the word advocacy. They hear they hear words like policy, they hear words like advocacy, and they immediately shut down. They're like, no, 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 I nope, not for me. Like I don't know anything about laws or policy or like I that's too much. No thanks. Um, but you see it differently. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about what um, policy and advocacy means to you? 
Yeah, you know, I think obviously advocacy is informing state level or federal level change in, in law and policies. Um, but I don't think it has to be just that. And that advocacy can just be done in your everyday life spaces. And for me, advocacy is, can be as simple as taking my son to the playground or mm -hmm. taking him to the, the rec league soccer and just showing up and, and showing people and bringing people disabilities into the community. Right, and that, that to me is advocacy in itself, is just being able to bring a person with a disability into the community and have them be included. And it doesn't have to be this big, huge task that we have to push you know, a tremendous boulder up a mountain in, in terms of policy. It can be just simple things that you do in your everyday spaces to make sure that people with disabilities are fully included. Mm -hmm. and, and so for me, it's been, how can I just in my everyday life make sure that I'm including people with disabilities. Yeah, so, you know, I spend time in, in trying to advocate for, you know, state and, and federal level change, but how can I just, in my everyday space, do something to include people with disability? Um, and so that's how I, I see advocacy too, is it doesn't have to be always at this huge level. It can be just in your everyday circles. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if people can't see it around them, it makes it harder for them to envision big sort of macro level change. Right, you have to be able to see in your day-to-day -day life. Um, oh, you know, here's so and so with a disability that I order my coffee from every morning at the coffee shop makes me more able to envision larger, um, larger policy change in terms of full inclusion of folks with disabilities. Yeah, the the ripple effect exactly. of right of I see one person in my everyday life with a disability, and then that maybe changes my perception, and then I'm going to include somebody else and or I'm gonna go hire somebody. And then, you know, so we don't know like the people that are working with the people with disabilities in our program, that maybe they'll go on to different jobs or different employers and maybe they themselves will try to hire people with disabilities, right? And so I think that just whole ripple effect could have tremendous important implications that, you know, we don't necessarily see, right. we may never see, but it's still important. And, you know, for me personally, like I have so much shame over the fact that I know nothing about disability before I had a son, like until I walked into this, like I knew nothing, but you know, sometimes I have to walk myself back and I've had people in the disability community, community walk me back from that shame and recognizing that our world and our society was designed to keep people with disabilities away. Like I never had experience with disability until I had a son. Like I didn't see anybody with a disability when I went to school, in high school and middle school and elementary school and college, like in my workplace experiences, I've never seen a person with a disability. It wasn't until I had a son that I was finally exposed to it. And, and so that, again, I guess it just reinforces like we have to put people with disabilities in our community. Just seeing it, I, I think, has tremendous implications. Absolutely, just in your day-to-day -day life. Um, and those implications can be business implications, employment implications, um, or they can be very, very personal. Um, you know, I think about um, if you're a parent of a child with a especially like in your case where you're new, you have a, a baby and just you have a very young child and the process of understanding what that means for your trajectory of your life and for the trajectory of your child's life. And uh, you know, I've, I've spoken with a lot of families they go through a period of, of just feeling really unsure and really scared. And then 
going to the hospital and seeing a person with a disability come in and help you at the hospital and, and having that realization of like, look at that. Oh, wow. Like that person's doing great. <laughs> They've got a job like, oh, like, oh my gosh, like there's, there's something here. I think it have really profound impacts on just on new parents who are just adjusting to this new, this new landscape. I've always had this vision of what it would have been like for me when I was in the hospital after my son was born. And, you know, there was so much, I don't want to say negativity, but there was just lack of excitement for the birth of my son while we were in the hospital room from all the visitors, from the doctors to the nurses to just family members visiting. There was just more of this solemnness to it. And what it would have meant to me if like while we were there, like somebody with Down syndrome came into the room to like, you know, clean up or, you know, was, you know, a patient greeter or like just for me to have seen them while I was in the hospital, um, you know, like just seemed like, oh yeah, like, look at that. And, you know, that's partly like my vision for the program. You know, I work at a hospital. So like partly that's, I, I have aspirations of having individuals with disabilities in public facing jobs so that that the community sees them, the patients see them. Um, and I would love to get them into, um, you know, the spaces where, where kids are being born. Absolutely, that, is, that could be pretty amazing, the impact there, yeah. Yeah, the ripple effects, I love, I love it. In terms of um, your advocacy efforts, what would you say to any business owners, any employers listening today who might be feeling nervous about hiring someone with a disability? I mean, I'd say first, if I think it's totally natural to be nervous or apprehensive. It's, it's maybe new, it may be different, right? And we've talked about that. It's not a common experience for most individuals to have this exposure to people with disabilities. And, and so I think that's one that's totally natural to have maybe some apprehension. But I, I would say also that it's just good business, mm-hmm. that it's good business practice to hire people with disabilities. It's one, it's a talent pool that can address a lot of performance deficits that you may have. And two, you know, depending on what line of business you're in, you know, hiring people with disabilities gives you access to a potential pool of customers, right? And so it can change your image and be good for business in that perspective. Um, But it also can improve your workforce and improve your workforce culture. And that's what's been really cool to see that's been a lot of the feedback we've been got have gotten from departments that have participated has been about how workplace morale and workplace culture has changed, right? So one, the individuals that we hired um, have been phenomenal, but two, that they've had this effect about just the, the culture of a place has been really cool to see. And, and it's been helpful for other employees to just see that their employer is, is about promoting an inclusive environment and are committed to societal level change and addressing some issues. It's actually been really good for, for just improving a team culture. So that's been, I think that, I guess I would say back in short is it's good for workplace culture. And the other thing I would say back to is we often look for 
when you're trying to hire somebody, there's so many soft skills that you just can't find. Like, how do you find somebody who's really like super motivated and has great work ethic? And those are skills that like you can't really necessarily find on paper, but you look for. And, and you know, oftentimes individuals with disabilities have those traits. They're really hungry. And, you know, a lot of the ones that we've hired have just, I mean, I can't give them enough work because they're just, they want to like do everything and, and do it so thoroughly and comprehensively and, and quickly and because they're so eager. And I, I wish I could find more employees like that. And so you know, I, I think there's so many benefits to, to hiring people with disabilities. So I, I'd say if you're nervous, I think you have to weigh that with what are the benefits? And I think the benefits outweigh any possible downsides that you may run into. So I think the other thing that oftentimes gets missed in this conversation is um, when it's not the right fit, right? Like, like anybody else, sometimes it's the right job for you. Sometimes it's not the right job for you. Um, have you had in those um, situations with your, your program where it hasn't been the right fit and how has that gone? Our, our first hire, we had some real challenges in the beginning. Um, we had in our minds a specific job role that we wanted this person to fill. And it just wasn't a great fit for them in terms of their interests and skill set. And so actually we kind of crashed and burned in the first like two to three weeks to the point where we thought like, this isn't gonna work. Mm. And maybe we need to rethink this. But we had to step back and, and reevaluate, well, what, what is he really good at? And can we match that with something here, maybe a different role? And so for us, it was, we almost walked away, but then said, let's reevaluate. Maybe, maybe there's something else we can do and find a better fit. And, and so I think we were able to, fortunately, he's still employed and he's been with us for a year and a half now and he's been doing phenomenal. But you know, the fit up front wasn't great. And so there was this initial like fear about what are we going to do if this doesn't work out? Mm -hmm. And and because it was a first hire, obviously there was tremendous pressure because we didn't want to fail. Right. But I, I think recognizing that like, there's not, oh, even with regular employees, there's never, oh, you know, sometimes you don't have a great fit right? and things don't work out and that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just hired somebody in January that I had to let go four months later that just didn't work out. It wasn't the right fit. And so I think we put too high of expectations that like it had to be perfect and that, you know, this person was going to be perfect. And I think that was a mistake. Yeah. And, and we had to lower expectations and realize that like, you have to treat it just like any other employee that there's sometimes there's good fits, sometimes they're not. And that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. The stakes sometimes feel so much higher, usually not for the supported worker, right? Usually the stakes feel higher for everybody else thinking, oh gosh, like, what if this goes wrong? Like, what are we going to have to do? It's like, well, just like literally everybody else, <laughs> you try the best you can to get the right fit. If it's not the right fit, you move on. Um, and I think, um, you know, we, we talk a lot with job coaches at the Bog Center about facilitating the entire process of, of employment um, from, you know, as you mentioned, really trying to get that right fit to also recognizing when it's not the right fit and moving on and really normalizing the entire process. Um, and I think that that's really what a lot of this work is, is simply providing access to what is ultimately 
a pretty everyday mundane process of looking for good people to hire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? It's just, our, our goal is just to make hiring individuals with disabilities just like hiring anybody else. And so holding them to the same expectations, but holding ourselves to the same expectations at the same time, I think is what this is really about. And yeah, to your point, we have to normalize this just, just like everything else. Yeah. yeah, and ultimately it's in line with treating supportive workers, treating people with disabilities with dignity and respect to acknowledge when it's not the right fit, right? Not to be like, oh, we can't, we can't say anything because so-and-so has a disability. So it's, it's really fine. Like it's, it's not fine. If it's not fine, it's not fine. And holding people accountable is treating them with dignity and respect. You know, to, to business owners and employers who are nervous, I think one of the most important things that you should do and what I recommend you do as a first step is to reach out and find community partners who do supported employment, right? And so for us, it was recognizing that there's organizations who are solely dedicated to holding your hand through this entire process. Yes. That you don't have to be experienced in hiring people with disabilities. You don't have to know anything about it. That there's organizations that will support you through, they'll provide job coaches, help you find candidates, um, that you don't have to go this alone. Mm -hmm. and, and so for anybody who's interested in hiring a person with disabilities is seek out those organizations that, that can help and support you through this, that you don't have to do this alone. Absolutely. And I think, um, again, if we have job coaches listening today, I think that's also a really powerful reminder to them that they are resources to the business community just as much as they are resources to folks with disabilities, um, that they, they can be useful. They have two customers, they have the business and then they have the individual. And I think that that's, um, that's a great reminder for business owners as well as any job coaches who are listening today. Um, there has been a lot of focus recently on behalf of employers and organizations to meet um, sometimes newly defined or newly tweaked inclusion, um, diversity, and equity objectives. Have you found any conversations around um, EDI helpful for you in your advocacy with uh, Columbia University? Yes and no. Yes, it's, it's been helpful that we're talking about it and people are thinking about it so much more. Um, so that has been really helpful that I think a lot of doors are open now that weren't open before, that people are thinking about it in ways they never thought about it before. But what's been really, I think, from a disabilities perspective, frustrating is that disability is not in the conversation. Yes. And that's what's been, for us, and it's been an educating those folks who are doing those efforts to, to include, that they should include individuals with disabilities in those conversations. And so I, in many ways though, I think it's been all, overall positive because I think we've been able to ride the coattails of those programs. Mm -hmm. of, of they've paved the way of, of trying to make our employer departments more diverse, more equitable and inclusive. And that has just opened us up to being able to get in and, and talk and have those conversations that people just didn't wanna have those conversations before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how often disability is left out of the conversation. Um, and I think it takes 
to your point, whatever spaces we are all in, these conversations are happening everywhere right now. You know, organizations are trying to, you know, put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. And for anyone listening today who's having those conversations, adding disability to those conversations is is absolutely a piece um, or an act of advocacy. And you know, we have to get we have to get the word disability included in those conversations. And I, I think you're right, agencies, businesses, employers, they want to meet those objectives. And this is another way to do that. Um, does your son know what he wants to be when he grows up yet? Do you have any ideas? No, I, I'd say my best guess right now is I think he wants to be a landscaper. Nice, nice. <laughs> he is obsessed with. Um, the people who go and like cut grass and blow leaves and he just anytime we're like walking around the neighborhood and sees them he has to stop and sit and watch them and just and, you know I have a lawnmower and anytime it's out he needs to go push it nice. and wants to go cut the grass for me and I'm like I'm, I'm ready to put him to work now I wish I could yeah <laughs> yeah he, he just has a fascination with with grass cutting for whatever reasons or like maybe Maybe there's a future in there for him. I'd love to start, like, have his own business, right? And where he can do that himself. Absolutely. It sounds like a, sounds like a, a true passion there. And it could really work out for you and your, and your landscaping needs. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hear lots of parents of people with disabilities or, or children with disabilities want to just, they start businesses yes. for their kiddos. Mm -hmm. um, so they have something to give them to just, you know, and I guess that's one way to do it. And maybe a, so you don't you don't have to try to convince employers to hire people with disabilities that you just start your own business and absolutely there's so many different pathways um, for accessing employment again similar to literally anybody else right that there's multiple pathways to employment yeah. um, from pursuing education starting your own business working um, with a job coach the the avenues are far are far and wide well thank you so much for joining us today to talk about employment advocacy. Um, I hope that your um, that project possibility continues to be successful. And I look forward to hiring a very qualified landscaper in about 15 years or so. <laughs> Thank you so Thanks, much Stephanie. for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of BogsCast, a podcast by the Bog Center on Developmental Disabilities. A full transcript of this episode can be found at thebogcenter.podbean.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming service to stay up to date with the newest episodes. To learn more about the Bog Center, visit our website at rwjms.ruckers.edu slash bogcenter and follow us on Facebook at the Bog Center on Developmental Disabilities.